and welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, Chief Executive of the Executive Connection. Tech Connect CEOs, executives, and business owners to the world's largest business leader network. Stephanie, you know that song by Colby Calais? I do. You know the one where she starts, like she starts strumming yeah. the guitar. And then says, can and you the- count me in? So I thought I could count you in. Perfect. Count me in, Leah. One, two, three, four. So our guest today is Martin Kayser, an executive coach, consultant and advisory board chairman. Martin's executive career has taken him through the UK, Europe, US, Australia and New Zealand. He's managed functionally diverse teams across multiple geographies for businesses engaged in technology services and solutions to the film, TV and broadcast industries. Interesting, we'll get onto that for sure. Martin's strength has been in developing highly engaged, high-performing teams supported by strong strategies and competitive tactics that differentiated those businesses in the market. Martin Kayser, welcome to Tech Live. Thank you, Stephanie. And today we're going to be talking about leadership across boundaries, which feels uh, it gives us a nice broad frame for our conversation. First of all, I have to ask you, TV film industry, tell us about that. Well, it's pretty cool, I have to say. Yeah, good. But that, that's what I was expecting. <laughs> what was the coolest thing about it? Oh, look, from the perspective of supply and services and solutions, it's always behind the camera. Yeah. So in many ways, it's uh, an industry and uh, a, a role that is um, the same as many, except that your clients are really cool people normally, yeah. doing really cool things, yeah. and you get caught up in them achieving their cool goals, which is doing great films, great TV, and supplying equipment to them, and, and they come to you and they say, we've got this great idea to do something, and maybe that technology doesn't really exist right now, and they'll want to partner with you to, to come up with it. So in a small way, you get involved you know, mm. very much behind the scenes. And then when you see it on a big screen or mm. you see it on a TV and you can say to your family and friends, hey, you know, we were involved in a little way in, in, in bringing that onto the screen. So, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's really cool. And can you give us some, some of the outputs that you've been involved in? Oh, lots. Um, I guess the most recent one is we went uh, when I went to the UK to be the CEO of a company, uh, a European-based company that develops high-end technology for mm-hmm. the film industry, cameras, lights, lenses. Action. Uh, yeah. Action, that's it. <laughs> um, and uh, the company and us took a, a huge leap and developed a, a very, very high-end camera system that cost a lot of money to develop mm-hmm. um, because it only was in small quantities, hoping that we would find a market for it. And we had an idea that the market would be a certain thing, that uh, this camera would be used on big films, but just for small sections of those big films, the really big visual effects scenes. And then they'd wheel it off and bring on another camera to do the drama and the dialogue yeah, everything else. And we developed this technology over a, a number of years. And on the very first production it went on to, uh, an Academy Award winning director and cinematographer uh, shot on the very first scene and then looked at someone and said, this is a wonderful drama camera. You know, we're not going to give this back to you. Ah. And we looked at each other um, and we thought, well, the last three or four years of development, we sort of got this wrong. It's actually not just going to be used here. It's going to be used throughout the whole film, most likely. So it was a happy accident. Mm. We developed it and it then went on to shoot its first film that it uh, was used on was The Revenant. Um, ah, 
Wow. <laughs> lots of drama. Uh, lots of drama and has shot big visual effects films, lots of Marvel films and Disney films and um, has been yeah, a real success. But it goes out to show sometimes that you do all your planning, all your thinking, all your market research to come up with an idea and then you develop it and then you release it and you go, oh, well, it's not quite what we thought it was going to mm. be. <laughs> Boy, that's a whole other conversation, Martin, for another time talking about <laughs> startups or that whole idea of build it and they will come, involve mm. the customer, involve the customer, involve the customer. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's great. And so that camera, I'm assuming, is lives on or is there a next iteration of it? Uh, it lives on mm. and will continue to live on because it's um, it, it's been very successful and I think I can say this, I'm not sure, but um, Baz Luhrmann is currently in production in Queensland ah, on, on Elvis. a film, Elvis, um, with Tom Hanks mm. and with and Baz is using a wonderful uh, female Australian cinematographer called Mandy Walker ah. um, who has got a number of credits to her name, last one being Mulan, and she's using this camera for Elvis. So wonderful. it's here in Australia right now. So watch out, everyone listening, for Elvis and the camera effects and Martin. Martin's in some small or, in fact, probably large way responsible for them. So, A tiny way, but, but uh, watch out for Mandy. All right, watch <laughs> out for Mandy. Oh, what a great intro. So let me take you then to you moving to the UK mm -hmm. into the CEO role of that organisation. And I think you've told me before, Martin, that you were an experienced CEO at the time. And there was something there about the boundaries when you hit that role that became obvious right from the beginning. Do you want to tell me about that? Mm. Well, I've been a CEO in Australia for 12 or 14 years and then had an opportunity, responsible for the Asia-Pac region of a, a large uh, multinational company based mm -hmm. out of the US. So the people that I were responsible for, was responsible for were mainly in Australia and New Zealand. And then a an opportunity came up to run a global business mm -hmm. uh, based out of Europe, um, and it was exciting. Part of it was the technology that we were going to develop. Part of it was getting your hands around, you know, a global organisation mm. and really building it into something uh, more special even than it was, which was the challenge. So I got on the plane and went over to the UK, and I felt yeah pretty confident about um, what needed to be done and how to go about it. And you were born in the UK. Born in the UK, yep. so although they saw me as an Australian now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can't win that one. No, never. But the thing that I then really did underestimate, underestimate the power but also the challenge of bringing a team together, specifically leadership teams, across boundaries, mm. which I hadn't really done before in my previous roles, and boundaries being geographical boundaries. Mm -hmm. So we had... 15 offices across Europe, the UK, and the US. Um, so time zones then. Different time zones, yep. different languages, different cultures, cultures, different histories. Some of those businesses had been acquired over the years. Some mm -hmm. of them were businesses that um, were organically grown from within the company. And this is a uh, privately owned company for the last 102 years mm -hmm. um, based out of Germany. So... It wasn't just a language issue. It was a multitude of issues. Um, and these offices had largely uh, reported directly back to the headquarters. And the challenge in the role was to bring those um, businesses together under the umbrella of this division that we were creating. 
So they were now part of a team together. Um, and they had been. It had been sort of a loose, a loose um, mm-hmm. confederation of, of businesses that knew each other and uh, had worked with each other. But this was formally bringing these businesses together under under one roof. And boundaries were the things that really got me learning and understanding. Mm-hmm. And the thrill was when you, when I got it right, the power of a team to produce something is just amazing. It's the biggest thrill in the world for me. And the biggest thrill is creating that vision of what it is creating the goal and everyone sees it everyone buys into it everyone buys into their part of it and then you achieve something through the power of that team that would never exist unless the team had come together Mm. to do it that is for me the biggest professional thrill I could ever get but it wasn't always like that sometimes so tell me about when you did get it wrong (laughs) what what did you get wrong in the boundaries I mean I can imagine those geographies culturally, having worked in multicultural, well, you know, um, multi-location global organisations, there's uh, you can trip over that very quickly. Just even in language, even in how not not just uh, which language you're speaking in, but how you say something. Absolutely. So tell me about yeah. Tell me when you got it wrong, Martin. Well, it's just as you said, Stephanie. Sometimes it's not even the words that you use. Mm. And the words that are used back to you, it's the tone and it's and it's understanding whether somebody is saying something because that's what they really would like you to hear or whether it's really what they mean. So in some cases, you'd have people being very straight and then others perhaps talking around things. Yeah, exactly. And, and also people come from different places with mm. different histories and different experiences and when a new CEO, you know, comes on to the block and has got these ideas, you're excited by them. And maybe you're excited because some of the people that you're working with are excited by them, but maybe not everybody's excited about it. Maybe that's not what everybody wants mm. to do. And when you meet with somebody and you cross a boundary, geography, language, whatever it is, and you actually have a conversation with somebody, the number of times that I walked away from a meeting going, you know, that went pretty well. I think yeah, well, mm. that's all good. We're on the we're, same we're page. We're on the same page. We're all going well. I get on a plane from wherever I was, go back home, and then on a Monday morning something happens. I get an email or a telephone call or something doesn't happen and you suddenly realize that that connection mm. with somebody hasn't been made. And that's the probably the aspect that I most underestimated is, is, is making that connection with every member of the team. So they really, really buy into what you're trying to achieve as a vision. Because it doesn't just imp- impact me, it impacted the rest of the team. Because they're mm. all very you know, acutely aware people, senior people, and, and they can sense when they're not all together mm. uh, in something. And when you can get everyone all together, boy, is that powerful. That cuts across any kind of leadership role, what you're saying about the team, the connection. The extra challenge for you then was the boundaries that you had to cross to get to the group to be high performing. So how did you manage that? How did you manage? I love what you're talking about there. It's not necessarily what people were saying. It was the intention. It was how it was presented. It was how how you spoke. Written communication can be a minefield, can't it, across, across boundaries like that. How did you manage that? Well, when I first or very early on in the role, I realized that the the company as a whole and the vision I was responsible for hadn't really had an in-depth strategy document. So when I was asking the question, 
you know, what do we look like in three years' time? What do we look like in five years' time? There wasn't a really clear answer to that. So trying to build a vision of where we were going to go started with, well, let's, let, let's take some time out here and let's form a leadership team and let's create a vision of what we want to be in, in three years' time. And that was a fairly robust debate about where we all wanted to be and how we were going to get there. And we got there after two and a half days. Mm -hmm. And for the last um, half of a day, um, we invited in uh, the CEO of the company, the, the whole company, the larger company, to, to give his view on what we'd done. So we wanted to have that two and a half days between us where it was, it, some of it was pretty raw, the discussion mm -hmm. about what, what we were trying to achieve and do we have a consensus on the goals. And we didn't want them to see that. Mm. That's ours. Yep. Nice. We, we own that. Nice. And then we brought him in and sat him through half a day of what we'd worked through. And, you know, 80% of it he bought into. And the other 20% we negotiated and we walked away at the end of three days with a really clear plan of where we wanted to be mm. and how we needed to get there. And whenever things got tough or hard or we were losing some of that connection with the leadership team, that was something we could always go back to. That was a fundamental vision that we had in our mind. And sometimes, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a visual person, I guess, coming from the industry that I'm in. So sometimes I would just use some of the techniques that you know many, many other um, leaders and, and uh, managers use. So I'd use the bullseye. You know, sometimes we'd be having a conversation across boundaries and lots of ideas would come, come out and, um, and I'd go up to the whiteboard and put a bullseye in the middle of the whiteboard and then a concentric ring around the outside and say, okay, today we're talking about how we're going to do this thing in three months' time. So the only thing that goes inside that bullseye is what's going to take us to that thing in three months' time. We'll have some great ideas that come out and we're not going to discard them. We're going to put them at, in that concentric ring and we'll come back to them later. But for the next two hours or whatever it might be, we are really going to focus on that bullseye. So wherever I could, it was trying to use visual, uh, something that the team could see as a common goal that we were trying to do. Mm. And that worked across boundaries, obviously. The visual works well there. It worked across boundaries. It worked across all kinds of boundaries, mm. language and, uh, and geography and so on. But you have to put the hard work in at the beginning to get the fundamentals of, is this the right approach, the right strategy? Are we going along the right uh, direction? Let's talk about geographic boundaries. So US and Europe, it's not too bad as long as you don't include Australia. That's when it gets impossible for a, a teleconference. How did you manage having your team so dispersed? It wasn't too bad. The worst time zone was LA and, and, and Munich, mm. I guess. It wasn't too much of a spread. Mm. Um, How much travel did you do in those days? When I was in the UK traveling internationally, probably two to three weeks out of four. You're on a plane or I was somewhere. On a plane. And you know, today, with how we've all adapted mm. and used different more forms of communication during mm. the pandemic, we've realized certain things mm. are more possible than we thought. At the time, I still I still believed that face to face was fundamentally the best way to get somebody to believe in you and trust in what you're saying and, and wanting to do, especially when you're crossing boundaries. Um, and the other complication to to across boundaries is that we had a um, a fairly normal 
structured organization, which was geographically based. So if somebody was the finance director or the marketing director of the US business, the same in Europe, the same in UK. But when we wanted to do things as a group, mm. we had to adapt a new way of thinking. We didn't want to create another entity which was a head office mm. and bring in new people in. We wanted to use the skills and talents of that already existed in the organization. So that overlaid a matrix organization. So to complicate things, we then had people who were report reporting normally in their territory. But then if they were a great technologist or a great marketing person or a great sales person, whatever it might be, their matrix reporting on behalf of all the companies as we developed the business meant that they then might also report to somebody else who, once again, could be across mm. a boundary somewhere else. So that complicated issues, but it also was the only way to achieve things using the skill sets and the and the expertise that we had. Mm, really interesting. So with that in mind, that experience and, and your whole experience of leading teams across boundaries, what could a leader of today learn as leaders are shifting from, every single leader is shifting in some way from a model that existed in January, February to a model now? That may be a radical transformation. It may be the future of work being brought, the horizon moving ever, ever closer. What would be your thoughts now, the implications for a leader to be considering those boundaries? It's a real challenge for me personally, and I think probably for many, to develop an authenticity and a trust in what you do and how you do that in a more virtual world rather than in a face-to-face -face world. I mean, that comes by being consistent in what you do, whether it's face-to-face -face or whether it's in a virtual environment. But it's really finding for you how you're going to achieve that authenticity and trust in, in your group. And I think the other thing that is really important is often in the past, your productivity as an individual was based on you know, how long you were in the office. Invisible. Hours in the office. Mm. Yeah. And that's every industry. Mm. And probably we were just as guilty as anybody else in that. And now it forces us as leaders to measure someone's productivity in different ways mm. and measure it in an outcome. So we had, for example, prior to COVID, we had somebody who was managing part of our business that required working through the night. It was to do with logistics. Yeah. So if a big shipment was coming from Mumbai or wherever it might be, freight and logistics would be at whatever time mm. they occurred. And the film and TV industry is make it happen, make it now. Mm. Um, so this person would work through the night sometimes and then come in late to work. And what that person's co-workers didn't see was that person had spent seven hours on the phone yeah. of a night time. So the perception was, well, this person isn't pulling their weight because they don't, you know, they arrive in the office at 10 and mm. go home at four. So we had to come up with a way of how do you manage the perception of somebody who's doing a great job? So you measure their productivity. Mm. You show the team the output of that person, the contribution that that person's making to the business in terms of its profitability. And then it actually went on from that. And with the blessing of the team, we changed that role to a, a contractor. Mm. And that person then contracted to us and could also contract to other non-competing businesses as well. So they grew their business, mm. gave us a, a great service. So the output was even better. Um, 
but it didn't matter when they were in the office. They weren't an employee. They were doing it via another means. So it's about being flexible, I think, in your thinking about how you measure output, reward staff, and identify someone's contribution. And when you're at home on your screen working really hard, you know, you want that virtual tap on the back and someone to recognise what you're doing. Mm. Yeah, the same rules apply, but it's been interesting as a leader through you know, the last seven or how many months it is now, that, that that's changed. That's just changed automatically. People aren't, that kind of underlying politics is gone. Mm. Of so-and-so's working hard or not, or they're in or they're not, or they're leaving early or they're coming in late. That's gone because no one knows. And, and the way of measuring output now is through systems that actually bring with them far greater transparency anyway. Because if someone's leaving at 4.30, you don't know what they've done if you were thinking they should be there till 5. But if you've got reporting and systems that show what everyone's working towards, then that's it's actually so much better for culture and accountability at the same time. Absolutely. And efficiency. Mm, <laughs> mm. It's, it's really interesting. What other lesson, Martin, from or lessons from your time as a CEO working across all kinds of boundaries that you think could apply to the CEO or business owner right now? I think in my particular case, you know, really it's carrying on from the discussion about understanding in each individual what their primary motivation is within mm. a team. And everybody has their place, you know, the place that they want to be, what they want to contribute. And it's trying to get a team together that is of diverse thought. I mean, it's very much like a tech group. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, it's a challenge for all of us to try and achieve as we build our, build our leadership teams and our, our teams around the world is, is to get a group that is really diverse mm. in thinking. Mm. And when I first became uh, a CEO, uh, a very, very good mentor of mine said, here's a, here's a piece of advice that always served me well. So this is going back quite a few years now. And he said, now you're a CEO, you have to have an opinion. You can't mm. not have an opinion as a CEO. And your role then is to make sure that everybody in your team feels that they can make a different view, a different mm. opinion, mm. and feel open that they can do that. Mm. And then your role is to work through who's got the best opinion, what's the right approach, what's the best approach at that time, and be flexible in your thinking. And it's really stayed with me that thought through a number of number of years is sometimes you, you go into a meeting, you've got to have an opinion to start things off, mm. but an opinion which isn't isn't set in stone. Mm. It's an opinion which is this is what I believe. Now let's think about what else is there to change that opinion or, and get the discussion going. And it's really opening up people feeling really safe environment to have a diverse view, a diverse opinion, and that's what really honestly attracted me to to a tech environment Mm. is I tried sometimes successfully, sometimes not in my work environment to do that as CEO. And that's an easy transfer through to a tech group, I think. That's good. So it's about perspective. So there's the opinion, but there's actually perspectives that may be well beyond what you've, you've even considered. Absolutely. So interesting when you talk about leadership across boundaries, Martin, you're talking about leadership. You're talking about recognizing the motivation, the drives of the individual. You're talking about how to um, foster collaboration 
and thinking about also you've talked about, I love the bullseye. That is a beautiful image that how to have everyone very clear on where you're heading as a team and then and as a leader to drive focus on what you're working with right now and how imagery worked for you. Yeah, and I think the bullseye for me, as we talked about, everyone's got an opinion Mm. and you want people to have an opinion. And what I would try to do is not, even if that viewpoint maybe isn't 100% relevant to what we're discussing or it's a little bit too out there for what we're discussing, you never want to discard it. You just want to park it somewhere and come back to it, but also not distract you from the thing that you have to Mm. deliver on in whatever time period. Yeah. Two, yeah. three months' time. So it's just for me, that was one of the mechanisms that, that helped me, you know, my style. It helped mm. my style. It's really good. I think your style is very interesting and, and can see how that was successful for you in that role and I think will serve you well in all of the different roles that you have in your portfolio going forward. But an, an interesting discussion and something I think every single leader needs to be considering right now. Martin Kayser, thank you so much. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks for the opportunity to talk. So that's Tech Live for today. CEOs are in the business of making decisions and leadership is the art of execution. I'm Stephanie Christopher and look forward to talking to you next time. 